hurricanes have turned some heads, but is reality going to hit them hard? We'll discuss that in our main topic. Plus, William Nylander is the only restricted free agent remaining. A Panthers top four defenseman is getting death threats. The Sens are dealt a major blow, and we recap all the big injuries that happened this week. Get set for episode 142, because the fun starts right now. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Before we get started, we're going to delve into the Hockey Hall of Fame book of trivia, as we do every week. Brett, are you ready for this week's question? I am, yeah. Okay, question 31 is as follows. Legendary broadcaster Denny Gallivan coined the expression spinorama to describe a deke first used by which Hall of Famer? A. Serge Savard of the Montreal Canadiens. B. Bobby Orr of the Boston Bruins. C. Dave Keon of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Or D. Dennis Savard of the Chicago Blackhawks. Um... I never know these kind of these. These feel so impossible. It's not like I'm like a hockey history guy. Um, let's go with Savard, the the Blackhawks, the last one, Denny Savard. Denny Savard, the Savardian spinorama, and you got it, buddy. Oh, I did. That was that was a complete guess because that was the only yeah. one I remembered of the choices. So every single Canadian <laughs> would get it. The Savardian spinorama. Wow. Okay. Well. Not every American would get that, so. <laughs> well, this um, one did, so there you go. <laughs> that was a complete guess. I can't believe I did that. Wow. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we're going to start with, um, you know, so like to the start of the show, we're talking about the Carolina Hurricanes, um, and even though they lost their, fir- their last three games um, and and all that, um, and they're also they have a goal differential of plus one. Uh, we're they're still first in their metropolitan division. Uh, they play tonight. Um, by the way, we're recording on Monday, so um, and this will be uploaded on Tuesday. Thankfully, hopefully. <laughs> so uh, this will be uh, so they do play tonight, but it's against the Red Wings who are the worst team in the league. So maybe it still holds weight that they'll be, you know, they're 4-3-1 and one at the moment. Uh, maybe they're 4-4-1 four, four and one or they're 5-3-1 and one or whatever. Um, but anyways, uh, they are, at the moment, they are first in the division of the Atlantic, of the Metropolitan Division, which is not a hard, which is not an easy feat. Even this early um, in the season, um, just throwing some stats out here. Uh, so they're like I said, they're four, three, and one. That that will change uh, when the time you hear this. Uh, four regulation wins. Um, their goal, their goal differential is plus one. They lost their last three, but their last three games were um, were against pretty good. Fairly decent teams, so they lost to the Hurric- uh, the uh, Avalanche on Saturday. They lost to the Lightning on Tuesday, and they lost to the uh, the Winnipeg Jets on Sunday. So it's not like those are you know easy teams or lottery teams, uh, so to speak. So um, you could give them a pass, relatively speaking. But if they lose tonight to Detroit, then we kind of realize like, okay, maybe it is a fluke. Um, some players to watch out for, 
Uh, Sebastian Ajo has 13 points in eight games, which is incredible. Um, he's kind of been on a new level. Tevo Teravainen has eight points. So does Michael Furland, um, who has eight points. Um, he also has the most goals on the team with five. Um, Justin Williams has kind of stopped being Mr. Game 7 and maybe starts being Mr. Regular Season. Uh, he has seven points in eight games. Jordan Stahl has kind of come to earth um, and following his brother's footsteps in terms of being a late bloomer, in terms of being like actually kind of decent. Um, he has six goals, I mean, uh, six points in eight games. Um, Warren Fogel, uh, probably no one has even heard of him before the start of the season, but he has five points in eight games. Um, Andrei Shevnikov, Shevnikov, who was the second overall pick um, in 2018, so this this. Uh, this draft here. Um, he has four points in eight games. Um, even though he has 13 minutes of uh, average ice time. Um, and Justin Folk um, is another one who I should mention who, uh, you know, everyone thought that like when they acquired Dougie Hamilton um, that Justin Folk is, was on his way out. But he, he's been decent so far. He has four assists in those eight games. And Dougie Hamilton has three assists in those eight games. So uh, Justin Falk has kind of been um, been better than than Dougie Hamilton in terms of points. Um, so that that is an interesting thing to to think about. Um, and then the bigger news story is that so Scott Darling was injured to start the year. I forget if we even mentioned it on our podcast because he uh, you know he he didn't have a great season last year. But um, and then they we did it. We did mention that they got uh, they claimed Curtis McElhaney off of waivers, and he's been incredible. Um, although I guess his save percentage doesn't show it, but he's been three one and zero. His GAA is two point seven six. His save percentage, which is eight ninety two, um, so that's not great. But uh, you know his, that that record and that GAA has been pretty good. And he's been better than uh, their other goalie, um, Peter Morazic, who's a 1-2-1 with a GAA of 3.07 and a save percentage of 8.74. Um, So I did mention that Scott Darling is back, um, and we'll talk about that in a second, or should be returning soon, I should say. Um, And we'll talk about that in a second, but... Uh, first, I want to get your thoughts on these Carolina Hurricanes' hot start and if it can continue. So, they posted a lot of interesting stats after the first five games uh, when they were 4-0-1. They averaged 42.2 shots on goal per game, the highest in the league, and just 24.8 shots against on average per game. That's fourth fewest in the NHL. And I was taking a look at their shot attempts. Um, Justin Williams at 56 in his first five games. A rookie named Warren Fogle, who I have heard of. He played in the OHL. Uh, he had 48 shot attempts. Jordan Stahl had 43. Those players respectively ranked first, fifth, and ninth amongst all NHLers following October 13th gameplay. So we're going back a couple of weekends here, but that's still pretty good. Yep. And Dougie Hamilton was even in the top 20 at the time. So how have things changed since then? Well, not much at all. Um, in 
fact, if anything has changed, the Hurricanes now average the second fewest shots against per game instead of the fourth fewest. So they've actually gotten better in that department. Um, probably the only stats that the Hurricanes want nothing to do with uh, involves their special teams. Their special teams have been an absolute travesty. Their power play is clicking at 6.7%, dead last in the league, and their penalty kill has just been 65.4% efficient at killing all the penalties taken. That's also dead last in the league. But you take a look at their shots on goal, and you really get to see how intimidating this team can be. Their lowest shot on goal output in a single night this year so far came against Vancouver in their fourth game, and that was 33 shots, which is very respectable. 33 shots in a game is pretty respectable. And in six of their first eight games, they've recorded at least 40 shots on goal. In each of the last four matches they've played, in which they've lost three in a row, um, they have recorded at least 40 shots on goal. Uh, And to do that under a new head coach that hasn't had a head coaching gig in this league is something else. And it goes to show you just how much of an impact Rob Brindamore has had so far. And And I'll dig you into those shots on goal. Uh, period by period, because that's where it gets absolutely crazy. They have not been outshot in a single period of hockey since the second period in their second game of the season against Columbus. And out of the three periods, that's the only time in which the Canes have been outshot in so far this year. The only other occasion in which it happened was their season opener against the Isles when they got outshot 2 to nothing in overtime and, of course, Um, The Isles won that game, so they gave up a goal in those two shots. So that means they've outshot the other team for the last 20 periods in a row, and that includes their overtime win over the Minnesota Wild. They've hit double digits in every single period besides the second period of their Columbus game, which is the second game in the season. On five or perhaps six occasions, they outshot their opponent in a single period by 10 shots or more. They've recorded 15-plus shots this year in a single period on 11 different occasions so far. For a team that's 4-3-1, those are some scary offensive stats. The fact that they're getting all those shots on goal. And like you said, they've been going up against some very good teams. They've, They've done that to Tampa Bay. They've done that to Winnipeg. They've done that to Minnesota, in which they got like 57 shots against Devin Dubnik. Right. Those are some pretty tough teams to go up against. And and those teams were, if they weren't in the top 10 last year, they were certainly hovering around it. Yep. And it's, it's absolutely crazy how a team that a lot of us thought, you know, was maybe going to make some progress, but not really make that much, you know, noise of, hey, this could be a playoff team. To do that against teams that are expected to be in the playoffs this year. I'm liking what I'm seeing from the Hurricanes. Yeah, um, so I have two kind of concerns here uh, for the Hurricanes, and I I do like what I'm seeing. I think I said in our preview that I feel like uh, they have a good squad up front, but uh, and they could make some noise, but, uh, you know, their big thing was their back end stuff, but... Like, I was looking at their numbers last year and just seeing if it was sustainable or not. Um, So you did mention the shots per game. So they currently have 42 shots per game, 
which is by far the most. Do you know uh, who had the most shots per game at the end of the season last year? Um, I, I mean, that was a rhetorical question. Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to say Tampa Bay. Uh, Pittsburgh and Florida okay. tied. Um, and, but the, the bigger, the reason why I bring this up was more just because of the actual number. So Pittsburgh and Florida tied for the shots per game last year. They had 34.4 uh, shots per game last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Carolina has 42.1. And that just shows me that, yes, that it is very impressive at the moment. But that just shows to me that that's not sustainable. Um, so I am curious to see how they uh, handle that next year or, or, you know, in the coming months. Um, but, like, I, I'm actually looking here. Carolina was fourth or tied for, uh, or not, or, or third, I guess, if you consider that Pittsburgh and Florida were tied for first, um, with 33.9 shots per game last year. Um, and then uh, they also have, um, uh, I also looked here that they have, uh, they in terms of shots against, uh, they are 30th in the league. They have 24.9 shots against. Um, which is um, which is thirtieth in the league currently. Um, only Vegas has less shots against per game um, than Carolina. Um, so that that's that's kind of one of those things where I feel like um, if the goaltending works, like yeah, those are great numbers. But usually, I feel like you know it's like mostly every game is about like each team gets around thirty shots. Per game, so I expect the shots against per game to shoot up more towards like you know around maybe like 28, 29, 30, um, and then the shots for will probably go down a bit to maybe thirty four or thirty eight or something. Yeah, like the Habs yeah. got off to a tremendous start as far as shots on goal, and yeah. of course they petered off and they didn't make the playoffs. Right. Um, so so there is. That thing. I mean, and also it's like, it's not like the end-all be-all because like last year, Carolina didn't make the playoffs. Chicago didn't make the playoffs. Um, I mean, Pittsburgh, Florida didn't make the playoffs. Pittsburgh kind of petered out in the first uh, first round. Um, so like, it's not like, you know, if you have more shots per game, that's like an indicator of if you're going to win or not. Um mm-hmm. I, according to last year's stats, at least. But even though Florida and Pittsburgh were pretty good last year, so um, even if Florida just missed the playoffs. Um, and also, I was looking here, too, because I did mention that they lost two pretty good teams. Um, I'm looking at teams that they actually did beat. Um, so they, they beat Columbus, um, even though they didn't have um, Seth Jones. Um, they beat, uh, the Rangers, so that's not like, you know, New York is kind of rebuilding, so that's not a huge deal. They beat And they Van- scored, they, they, they only won that game 8-5, to five, so they actually yeah. gave up five goals against the Rangers. That exactly, game. so that's not, I mean, that, that was a game that they should win against, or they should beat, um, and, and you're right, they gave up five goals against... Um, they beat Vancouver five to three. Um, that was kind of like one of those, like Vancouver's kind of might be a little bit of a surprise if we'll get to in the Bruins send segment. Um, so there was that, 
Um, but like, you know, that's still like a team that you should probably beat. And then yeah. Minnesota, um, they beat them in overtime. And you did mention that they put like 40 shots on Devin Dubnik there. So uh, 57, actually 57. So, yeah. um, so yeah, that's a lot of shots, um, for, uh, to Minnesota. So I feel like this team is like, this is going to be like, uh, like the advanced statistics show that they're going to be pretty good, but. Like, it does show to me that, like, they can't, like, they could be good team like, they can't beat good teams, but they also, like, they're, they're prone to losing towards, uh, like, they're losing, wait, let me say this again, <laughs> they, they, uh, they're gonna lose to good teams, uh, that have, like, a good goalie that night, but then they're gonna be, like, teams that they should be like, bad teams, um, so, like, so I feel like they're, in, in that sense, I feel like they're gonna be in the middle of the pack, um, but their big story right now, which, which kind of takes me to their goaltending, um, so both their goalies right now, current goalies, um, have a below, uh, 900 C percentage. Curtis McElhinney has been pretty good, um, but again, he has an 892 save percentage. Um, they do have Scott Darling in the mix, um, who should be back pretty soon. I think he, but you know, he had a he had a bad year last year. So I am gonna be, you know, I I am kind of concerned about their goaltending. It's like it's one thing to shoot a lot. Um, but I don't know if it's, that's necessarily going to mean that, you know, they're going to win every game because, you know, you need goaltending. That's a, that's a big part of the, of the game. And they do have a good defense. Uh, Jacob Slavin is one of the more um, underrated defensemen in terms of shutdown guys in the game. Um, you know, they now have Dougie Hamilton, which is an upgrade from Noah Hannafin. Um but, and, and who knows with this coach, so, you know, anything can happen, I guess. But it's just, it seems like there's going to be, um, like, I'm not necessarily sure um, if what their their success right now is sustainable. So I'm going to say, no, they're not for real. <laughs> but what do you think of the, the goaltending concerns? That, that, should be, um, that should be the question that I have on this. On the sheet well, um, I think they're going to have to send somebody down. Um, and I think if things keep going the way they are, I think it's going to be Mrazek simply because um, when the Leafs drop Curtis McElhinney, if you're a team that's looking for a veteran backup that can play good hockey and give your starter a break, I would take Curtis McElhinney over Peter Mrazek right now. Yep. So, sending Peter Morazic down, I think, is a lesser risk because the odds of someone wanting to take a chance on Peter Morazic on the waiver wire are less likely than someone wanting to take a chance on Curtis McElhinney on the waiver wire. So, I think um, you increase the risk of losing Curtis McElhinney if you put him on waivers. So I think Peter Morasic is the odd man out unless he plays out of his mind before Darling comes back and makes an impact. But um, 
there's no guarantee, even if Darling comes back, that he's going to make an impact. So right. there's, there's still a lot of question marks with their goaltending. Yeah, I was going to mention that it wasn't like Scott Darling was that great last year either. I was going to pull up his stats quickly. Um, let me see here. Oh, I have it here. Uh, Scott Darling was 13-21-7 and seven, uh, with a 3.18 GAA and a save percentage of 888. So he also had a sub. Sub nine hundred, uh, uh, save percentage as well. Yeah, nothing, nothing to write home about. Right, uh, their best goalie was Cam Ward, who had a nine oh six save percentage, um, yeah. which is kind of uh, crazy. So yeah, I I feel like if like I'm not completely sold yet on the Hurricanes. Um, I I do agree. I think Mrazek is like is being outplayed by McElhaney. Um, and I think uh, McElhaney will be the backup when Scott Darling comes comes back. But I don't even know if you can safely rely on Darling being good or that McElhaney will be good either. So that's that's going to be um, that's going to be I think that's going to be the key to the Hurricanes' success if if they can get a sustainable goaltender because these shots are. Like, they're not going to be shooting 40, 40 shots per game for the entire season. So, and not even giving up an average yeah. of less than 25 per game. Right, either. right. That's, so, no, no, they're going to be figured out at some point. Right, exactly. And if not right now. So, especially considering that they're in a tough division in the Metro, um, I don't think that it's sustainable. Um, especially when you consider that they haven't faced Pittsburgh yet. Yep. They haven't faced Washington yet. They haven't faced Philadelphia yet. All of those teams have great offenses that can right. absolutely exploit you. Exactly. So I, yeah, I think it is a little, still a little early to be like doing an "Are you for real?" section, but I don't think they are for real at the moment. I am concerned about their goaltending, so I want to see what their goaltending is like for at least an, uh, maybe another two weeks or something. So. Um, by the way, we're going to be starting that soon, are they, for real? Yeah. But, um, the, yeah, I think, uh, I don't know, I, I don't, uh, it is an impressive run to start, but I don't think it's sustainable. Um, yeah. All right, let's go to the, I think that's it, uh, unless you have anything else you want to talk about. No. Nope. Oh, okay. So, uh, we're not doing Are They For Real, but we are doing a new game that we kind of, debuted um, in the summer. It's an, an agree to disagree, uh, just a reminder. Uh, so on the show, we both tend to agree on the same stuff like we just did about the Hurricanes. So uh, we're going to, but now we've uh, we've been doing this for about three to four years now, three and a half years, I want to say. Um, and uh, we kind of, uh, I don't know each other's opinions on hockey, so we're now going to try to do a uh, where one of us will s- state an opinion, and we're going to try to see if the other one disagrees or agrees to this. Um, and if they, um, I mean, it's not real. It's like a game, but it's not like we're keeping score or anything. Um, but the goal basically is if I, you know, just to get the other person to disagree on this statement. Um, 
And the other thing is, is you can't, um, Steve already knows this, but you can't say uh, something super obvious, like a really hot take, like McDavid isn't the best player in the league because we both know we don't truly believe that, um, just so that we can get the other person to disagree. So it has to be something that you have to um, back up and truly believe. So something that you can back up with numbers or, I don't know, stats. Um, and, uh, and, and that's, uh, or I guess history maybe is another way you could back it up. Um, yeah. so you have to give your reasonings, um, but you, and, you, and it can't be like some really, really hot take. Um, yeah. All right. Let's, uh, so Steve, what is your agree to disagree? I think you told me that you had a, you had a good one. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully, hopefully I did this right. Uh, and we're probably going to talk about this next week, so okay. I'm not going to go too, too in-depth with this, but all I will say is that if the Los Angeles Kings power play is not at 18 to 20% by Christmas, John Stevens will be out of a job. All right. And I say this because they have caught fire with the extra man as of late. They started off a shocking 0 for 21. They're now 3 for 28. And only Arizona, Vegas, and Carolina are doing worse on their power play than the Kings are. Yep. You have got guys like Alain Vigneault still out there waiting to be hired. You have young coaches in waiting like Sheldon Keefe with the AHL's Toronto Marlies. John Stevens is not safe right now. And it's primarily because of the power play. Forget the defense, forget Quick's injuries. Primarily because of the power play that John Stevens is on the hot seat right now. And it's not the fact that the Kings aren't winning hockey games at the moment. It's not the fact they had a team meeting. You look at Anse Kopitar. This guy scored 90 points last year. Yep. Not even more than 90 points. He's got two goals in seven games this year. That's it. You bring in Ilya Kovalchuk, and you still have Tyler Toffoli. You still have Jeff Carter. You have Drew Doughty and Jake Muzzin on the back end. That's enough offense to get a power play within the middle of the pack. But we're looking at a team instead that doesn't even have a success rate of 15%. That is absolutely outrageous, and it needs to be fixed before Christmas, or else John Stevens is going bye-bye. Yeah, we will talk, I mean, we're going to be talking about the Kings, uh, we'll probably talk about them next week, um, if this slide continues, um, and uh, we're also going to be talking about it today, considering we are going to talk about Jonathan Quick coming back, um, but yeah, no, I I kind of do agree with that. Um I will say, though, that as for Kopitar struggling, as for the entire team struggling, I would say that I, I know that Kopitar is one of those guys that has a, a slow, like, starts really slow. Um, so um, that is, um, so, like, I, I'm not sure if, and, you know, it's like, you know, Kucherov hasn't been himself this year, too. So if you're going to be, like, talking about you know, stars that haven't been great so far, um, you know, there are other stars that you could be more concerned about, like Steven Stamkos, um, Kucherov, um, although I guess the Lightning have been better as of late. Um, Crosby is another one. Uh, he hasn't really shown up on the on the score sheet either. So, um, so yeah, I don't know if you could... I, I, I agree with it. 
Um, but I think I, I'm not giving up hope just yet on the on the Kings. Neither am I, but yeah. um, they couldn't be in a worse spot right now. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I, f- I still feel like it's early to start thinking about it, but I guess by Christmas break, yeah, I, if they're still struggling, yeah, I could see that happening where they're like... The Sens uh, were struggling big time at the Christmas break, yeah. and um, yeah, um, they didn't fully recover, did they? No, yeah, they didn't. Um, and they had a very good team. They had a very right. good offense. Yeah, no, I think like the Kings' biggest issue is that they're they're pretty old and they're also like pretty slow. Um, mm. and, and speed and skill has kind of yeah made a big name for itself early on too. Yeah, even last year, I think that's what kind of like was a big reason why they were swept by the Knights last year was just because they weren't speedy enough and they weren't uh, you know quick. Um, to really, you know, handle it. So, um, so I think that has something to do with it where, um, they're just a bunch of old guys, um, on a team now. So, um, but, so I think it's more of a team thing and it's, it's not helped by having a 37 year old Ilya Kovalchuk on your team, who's their, their biggest acquisition. Yeah, and, and to be fair, in his first so. eight games, I believe he has, like, two goals and three assists or something like yeah. that. So, like, he hasn't been terrible. But he, yeah. he, he that, that's still offense that should be scoring goals. Yep. Um, so, I do agree with your statement. Um, but I, I, I also, I agree that the Kings are in trouble and they should be worried. But... At the same time, I don't know if the coach is getting fired right away. I feel like they're going to pick it up, so I don't know if he's going to be fired by Christmas. Do you think um, a power play that's not at 18 to 20 percent by Christmas and he gets fired, do you think that's a bit of a stretch? Um, yeah, a little. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, power play is definitely important, um, but I don't know if it's necessarily... Um, like the be all end all, I would say it's it's more like chemistry. Like, is are they the same team as last year? Um, okay. And that's that's something I'm not sure about. Uh, remember last like it's it's tough to like last year no coach was fired. Um, well, yeah, and I season. remember that so, there were Flyers fans calling for Hackstall's head right. uh, after a couple of bad outings, and yeah. they figured it out and they made the playoffs. Exactly, Hackstall was one of those. Um, you know. Like, you know, Blashill probably should have been fired uh, last year. Uh, so did maybe Guy Boucher. Um, so that's, yeah. um, you know, so there is more. I feel like there's more rope given, especially the Kings made the playoffs last year. So I would give it a little bit more time. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he's fired having said all that. But, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I guess I disagree on that aspect of things. Yeah, you, you kind of agree, yeah. you kind of on the disagree. Things, yeah. I agree and di- disagree. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I guess that was a good take after all. Yeah. Um, so, when I was thinking of my opinion to, uh, to my statement to talk about, I kept on like thinking like, oh, that's too cold of a take, or that's too hot of a take. Like, you know, it's like, 
like, you know, it's like something that's super obvious or it's something that's like <laughs> the reverse of that, where it's like, I don't even know if I believe that either. But I'm going to go with this one. Um, I think that John, John Gibson is the best goaltender right now. Um, and uh, so I'm going to pull up some numbers, uh, particularly, especially considering that the Anaheim Ducks are, I, I mentioned this before a couple weeks back, but the, uh, you know, the Anaheim last year had, had so many injuries and so many, um, you know, they had guys like Patrick Eves, who's still injured. Ryan Kessler was out for half the year. Um, uh, Corey Perry was playing injured, even though he was playing. Ryan Getzlev has his moments. Cam Fowler was out for a bit. Uh, Campus Lindholm had his, had a stint on the IR as well. Um, but Gibson still went 31, 18 and seven. Um, with a GAA of um, 2.43 and a save percentage of 9.26, and um, and this year is you know like I'm looking at their the Anaheim Ducks who's been injured like sure Ryan Kessler's back and Ryan Getzlaff um, had his moments uh, to keep him uh, keep in mind I think Ryan Getzlaff missed like three games um, but Jacob Silverberg's out. Patrick East is also out. Corey Perry's out. Uh, Andre Cachet um, are also out. And Jonathan Gibson, in seven games, he's 4-2-1 with a GAA of 1.91 and a save percentage of 949. Um, now, like speaking of Carolina, I don't think that's going to continue. But uh, I think John Gibson has been the best. I mean, I guess... Just in terms of the stats, like, you know, this isn't really a hot take at all um, because he is he is a really good goalie. Um, and I do expect that to maybe dissi dissipate a little bit, but I th find it really impressive the fact that he was, like, the Ducks are one of the more injured teams in the past two seasons, and yet John Gibson is, like, carrying them on their back. So I feel like he is the best goaltender in the league for the, the past two seasons. Um, how about that? I'll, I'll, I'll do that qualifier. In the past two seasons, Jonathan, John Gibson is the best goaltender um, in the league. And I, I just find it impressive that, I mean, I guess there is something also to be said that Ryan Miller is also pretty good. But I, I still feel like Jonathan Gibson is very vital to the Ducks team. Um, and he's been, you know, he's been really good. <laughs> so do you agree or disagree on it? Yeah, I think over the past two seasons, well, you know, obviously, you know, there's still Halibut, there's still Vasilevsky, there's still uh, Pecorine there. And, and you look at Craig Anderson, what he's done with the Sens this year, the Sens have been widely outshot in some of the games, and he's, and he's stood on his head and he's gotten them a couple of points. But consistently speaking, this year, John Gibson um, is probably the best goalie in the NHL. Um, like, I think half his starts, he's gotten over 30 shots, uh, maybe even 40 shots. Yeah. Um, 
Like it's absolutely ridiculous, and and the pressure is just unrelenting. It's it just comes in waves. And there was one game against the Stars, and we'll probably talk about the Ducks next week too. Um, but there was one game against the Stars where Dallas had like thirty shots in a single period, which yeah. is absolutely insane. And and yeah, John, taken Gibson, out in the John Gibson was was taken out of that game because four goals went by him in about five or six minutes. But like. He, he still had, had 40 shots. shots faced in that period. Saves. Yeah. He still had so, 40 saves that game. Yeah, I'm yeah, looking exactly. I'm looking at his game log right here. Uh he uh there were um he had 41 saves against Arizona and he shut them out. Um yeah. although I guess Arizona was kind of bad that uh you know was bad at the beginning. Uh he had 40 saves against Dallas like you mentioned. Um and then um, he had 42 saves against Vegas, um, even though he gave up three three goals there. So, um, and then he also had 37 saves against Arizona in another game, uh, in their second game. So, yeah, he has a lot of saves, um, and I, I, I find that's another reason why you can make the case that John Gibson is the best goaltender. Um, yeah, I don't know, I guess... Um, yeah, I think I think in terms of the last two years, just on the factor that, like, yeah, obviously this season he's the best goaltender, um, just purely on how many saves he's been making, um, and and been has been able to be making. But even last year, I find impressive that he was pretty good. Uh, he had like a nine thirty save percentage, um, and half his team was injured. And he still like basically willed them into the playoffs and got you know second place in the division. So I, I'm still gonna stand by the fact that he was the best goalie last year, um, just in terms of just the factor that is the team around him isn't as good. Um, yeah, as and banged up, and I, I think. I think he's the most instrumental to his team. I yep. don't know if he's the best. I'd say he's one of the best. I don't know if he's the best. Yeah. Just yet over the past two okay. years, but I think he's the most instrumental to his team's success because you're right. The Ducks were banged up last year. John Gibson carried them into the playoffs, and he was still pretty effective in the playoffs. His team just couldn't score a goal against San Jose, right. and um, and and so far this year they've been banged up, and he's carried them through uh, some more injuries and forty shot games and all, and he's he's passed the test every single test that's come his way. He's done a great job. So. Um, I, I kind of agree, kind of disagree with your opinion. Okay. Similar to yours with mine. Sure. All right. Uh, Ryan, <laughs> yeah, I will mention, I did mention this before in our statement, uh, but Ryan Miller um, kind of blows my theory a little bit in terms of the fact that he's also pretty good. Uh, he had a 928 save percentage last year, um, and he went 12, 6, and 6. But at the same time, like, he only played 30 games. Um, where yeah, John like, and, and it's the same games. with uh, Pecorine and UC Soros. Like, yeah. Pecorine was pretty good, but UC Soros was just as good himself. Right. Where I guess you could make the case, like, John, like Connor Helpa played a ton of games last year. Yeah, he did. So, uh, and so there, there is that. And also, like, John Gibson is gets injured himself. Um, so so there is that to, to consider, but... At the same time, when healthy, John Gibson is the best goaltender um, in the league. 
All right. All right. Cool. So I guess that's that's why we have it because we both agreed and we both disagreed. Um, yeah. We haven't gotten a full disagree yet, but <laughs> not um, yet. We're working towards it. I think in time we'll we'll. As we'll, soon as someone plays the Martin Jones card, then we might have a war. Yeah, we'll <laughs> yeah we might have it, a it war. It depends on his stats. That's again. true. I guess that's that's kind of cheating because we both know our opinions on where we stand <laughs> on Martin Jones. But yeah, that that is a good point. Um, all right, let's go to the rapid fire here. Um, uh, I have just Matheson here. I forgot to find out his first name. But, Mike. uh, what? Mike. Mike Matheson. Is it Mike, Mike Matheson? Mike okay. Matheson. Is it like an alliterative? Yeah, Mike, Michael Matheson, Mike Matheson. Either or. Um, is it Mike? okay. Oh, it is Michael Matheson. All right. Um, anyways, he, uh, they when they played the Canucks, he uh, he basically hit Elias Peterson. Apparently, it's not Peterson anymore. Um, he wants to be called Peterson. Um, he uh, he uh, so M Matheson uh, hit Peterson. I'm I'm gonna botch it up. Whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Get the Peterson counter up, up there. Yeah, I know. I know. This is gonna be. Uh, I'm gonna. Yeah, this will be a rough annoy second. myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, so he hit, uh, he, he checked, uh, Peterson into the boards, which is fine. Um, I mean, it was like the puck was already out of Peterson's hands, uh, but, uh, for like a half second. Yeah. 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 Um, but you know, it, it, it was, the check was fine, but then he starts to, then he like picks Peterson up and slams him to the ice, um, and he gets suspended two games here. Um, I believe, like, uh, Peterson, or, uh, Peterson is, uh, he's not exactly, like, a, like, a heavy muscle, muscular guy. He, um, let me look at it here. He's I think six, he only is like, a, what, 170 pounds or something close, like that? Close, 165. He's not very big. He's 6'2 and 165 pounds, so he's not... Oh, he, wow. He's not heavy. So even less than 170. Yeah, he's pretty light, but, um, yeah, so he, anyways, but, like, even still, like, just taking him to the ice is kind of uh, a, a bit much. Um, anyways, Matheson gets suspended two games uh, for his takedown on, on Peterson. It was kind of like a wrestling move, too. It was kind of... Uh, yeah, kind of like something out of WWE. Yeah, yeah. But it was, it's one of those things... I, I only mention his weight because it is something to consider for something like this. Because yeah. it is kind of like, you know, he is pretty light. Um, but, like, you know, he's a very skillful guy. He has eight points in five games. Um, he's still the Canucks points leader. Um and, and still, at the, at the end of the day, you know, yeah. you look at, mo at most hockey fans, I think, would make the argument, it's like, oh, well, if you know he's only, like, 165, right. like, even more re more so reason not to pick him up, because you, yeah. you know he's probably going to be easy to take down. Exactly. So, um, so Matheson, um, so, the, like you say, there, a lot of people are pretty protective of this guy, because he is kind of, like, a, an important part to the Canucks' future, um, and he's shown that he's been really good. Um, he's an exciting guy to watch um, if, you've, if you've seen him play. Um, 
and he's, you know, he's like, you know, Besser and Horvat are, you know, good players, obviously, but um, it seems like Pedersen's already better than both of them. Um, but anyways, uh, this kind of started with, you know, Matheson has been getting death threats on, on, this, on this play, uh, which is kind of crazy, and it shows just how passionate fans are um, towards, uh, towards hockey and stuff. But, like, you know, I feel like that's a little too far to be going, like, hey, like, you shouldn't be doing this, like, where, you know, this is Peterson we're talking about. Um, it also turns out that I, I, when I saw it, I thought this meant that Peterson would be out long term, but it turns out that he might actually be back this week. Um, he did suffer a concussion on that play, um, and he was taken out, but, um, but it looks like, uh, so I think in that regard, I think two games is fine. Um, I feel like getting death threats is a ton, is, uh, is just a little bit insane. Like, I can understand Todd Pertuzzi back in, you know, when he hit Steve Moore, um, getting death threats. I can understand Matt Cook, um, on all those dirty hits that he has, um, in his arsenal. Same with Rafi Torres, um, and Tom Wilson. Uh, but, like, getting, like, just... Just the idea of, like, threatening an actual... Like, this is like a... Hockey is a sport. Like, you just have to think about it. Like, just in terms of the grand scheme of things, like, these guys are just playing, like, a sport that's, like, kind of meaningless for something. It's like... it's. I mean, we're hosting a podcast about the sport, so I don't want to say it's meaningless to say, because... You know, you get emotionally invested into it. It's okay to, like, criticize right. somebody for the hit, but, like, death threats? Yeah, yeah. Death threats, it's like, you have to, like, just, there. there is that, like, you have to remember at times, and I, I understand it is tough, but, like, there is a human element to it, like, that we don't, like, fans don't understand sometimes, I guess. So just getting death threats seems like just threatening a guy is, like, Sure, like, Matheson, um, like, I, I am angry that Matheson did that, and he probably shouldn't have done that at all, but um, just getting death threats seems seems insane to me. Um, so, um, so I feel like that's a little too far for this, but I think two games is about right for this. Um, and, and you're right, like, Peterson, Peterson oh, damn it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mess this up, like, for the rest of... <laughs> our time here, um, but, uh, Peterson, um, yeah, he's a, he's a great player to watch, and at the time, we thought that, like, this could be, a, like, a long-term injury, um, and something that could affect his, his life, so I can understand from that regards, I guess, but, like, I don't know, still, like, death threats, like, you should never threaten death on anyone, um, just uh, just a little uh, little advice to everyone. Don't don't threaten anyone's life. Um, probably not a good idea. Um, yeah. Uh, what 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 are your thoughts? So uh, I will get specific on the death threats in a second, but just take to to take a look at the play. Like you said, you can't do what Matheson did. It has nothing to do with hockey. You should not have anything to do with hockey. Those are the type of plays you want erased from the game. Um, you're putting the guy in a bad spot every single time you do this. So 
Um, Mike Matheson watched this video clip. He can understand why it's bad, um, but I'll, I'll give you the full quote, and this is partially why, on top of um, no suspension history, why it was only two games. So here's the quote. I've watched this clip numerous times, and I definitely understand what they saw and why, and why they thought it was worth two games, but it wasn't my intent at all. I see why people think it was malicious and deserving of suspension. I see that point of view. But I know how I was feeling in the moment, and it wasn't that. He's a skilled player. He makes good plays. When you're in a battle with someone, you want to play them hard and make sure they cannot beat you back to the net. There was no point of, in my frame of mind where I was thinking, I got to hurt this guy. First thing I thought of is whether or not he was okay. That was my main concern, and it still is. I reached out to him to apologize and see how he's doing. It sounds like he's been doing better the last few days, and that's great to hear. He didn't have to answer me back, but I'm glad he did. So there's there's remorse. That's 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 part of why he probably only got two games was that he showed remorse. He didn't show and I, intent. I also, I also believe like uh, Peterson like uh, like also accepted the apology too and responded back or something like that. Yeah, yeah, and and like it's not like you said it. What's not like this was Tom Wilson who right. has had a couple of run-ins and like hasn't learned his lesson or anything like that. Or and, Matt Cook, yeah. Yeah, or Matt Cook. Yeah, he d- Mike Matheson doesn't have that reputation. But like you said, the story doesn't end there, and this is where I come to Mike Matheson's defense because he's received death threats and other vile messages on his social media channels after the hit was made. Uh, thousands of people commenting on his social media pages, sending him death threats, wishing he commit suicide, wishing he get cancer. And this is the most ridiculous thing on top of all that. No, all those are ridiculous. Even said others went so far as to threaten his innocent, tiny little dog. What? Who threatens a dog? So on October the 1st, he posted a picture of a small dog named Hank. He's wearing a Panthers jersey. And it and all the caption reads is, it's October and Hank is super excited to have his jersey on. So after that Saturday game, Certain Canucks supporters and hockey fans in general were upset about the play. Then they begin replying to that post, stuff like, he didn't deserve that animal. Others called the defenseless dog ugly. Others said they felt bad for the dog because Matheson was his owner. And then this message says, just take your ginger bleeping head, your demon spawn ass, and get back to your hellhole where you belong. Like, give me a break. Like. Yeah. That, that's, that, that, if what Matheson did is no part of hockey, this certainly doesn't have a part of hockey. Like, that's, that's just senseless. Yeah, it's also weird, like, I I saw a couple of, like, former hockey players say, like, they didn't even think it was that bad of a, a hit or something, and I guess it's one of those things that, like, you know, like, the refs don't even call or don't even notice that much because it's like it's basically just a check, but you have to yeah, finish you, your you check. you only got a minor penalty for that. Yeah. It wasn't like a five in a game. Right, it was, right. but it like, was just a minor penalty. It does make you wonder with all this, like, concu- you know, the concussion lawsuits coming in, and I, I could start to wonder if maybe, like, the NHL should start enforcing it because that is, like, a d- pretty dangerous play. I understand that, like, Peterson is pretty light. Um in terms of hockey players, so, like, you know, he's he's going to be prone to that kind of stuff, but 
at the same time, it seems kind of, um, I don't know, seems kind of uh, crazy to, uh, you know, allow those kind of hits. Maybe they should have a crackdown on those kind of uh, plays right there. Um, well, and, and that's, you know what that's going to cause teams like Vancouver to do. And it's just like, okay, you're not going to protect our star players. We're going to get tough guys to protect our star right. players. And those guys that you want out of the game that you don't want hanging around. True. You just gave him a free job. You just gave him a free gig right there. Right. And that takes away a roster spot from a young kid that probably has what it takes to make the NHL, probably deserves a shot. Yeah. But he's not going to get the shot because, oh, we need a guy to protect our star players. But at the same time, that's why you, like, you know, like, there's, like on draft day, they always talk about, like, how, like, oh, this guy needs to add a couple more pounds of muscle or something like that. So that's why they do that because... You know, hockey is a, a physical sport, obviously. So, like, you know, if you, you know, you need to take a hit like that. But still, it seems kind of crazy because what what is Pet Peterson supposed to do there? He's 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 literally he, he being, can't do anything. Yeah, he's he, literally he's, being he's like wrestled to the ground. Stick is between yeah. his legs. He's defenseless. Exactly. So, so I I feel like the the NHL needs to go back to the drawing board or enforce this some more in terms of penalties. Um, and penalize guys who do do this, because uh, that d doesn't seem right. And I understand that, like, maybe they've been doing this for a long time now, but it seems kind of crazy to, uh, um, when you actually think about it, that it's an outrage. <laughs> like, uh, so maybe this, that is a good thing if, if, if we can, uh, if the NHL can start to take this seriously and maybe get that kind of stuff out of the game. Um... All right, let's go to the injury. Speaking of that, we already mentioned that Peterson has Peterson has a uh, concussion, but it looks like he may be back in a couple of weeks or maybe this week. Um, so we'll see. Um, but a couple more injuries to talk about. Uh, Pekka Rene. Um, it looks like he. It doesn't say what he he got an injured. Um, what he injured exactly? It says it's undisclosed, but. Um, he is put on the IR, which means he's out for the least this week. Um, but we were talking about that before with John Gibson. It's like, well, UC Saros is, um, you know, still on their team, so he he should he should be in net um, for now. Um, so I mean, he probably would be playing a, a bit anyways. But it looks like Pecorine, um is uh, is injured for now. Mm hmm. Um, uh, he's expected to miss at least the next three games. Soros is probably going to get the bulk of the starts during his absence. And in his first start, he just posted 31 saves in a shutout against Edmonton. So yeah, that's, NBD. you know, uh, shutting down Connor McDavid, that's, that's pretty good. Um, but, um, you wonder if it could be any more than three games because when, uh, Pecorino collided with, uh, teammate Kevin Fiala, um, it looked like, uh, it looked like uh, his lower body took the worst of that. I think it was his knee, especially. Um, so uh, they, they didn't actually detail the specifics of the injury. They're calling it an undisclosed injury, so we don't know much in, in that regard. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, it's one of those situations where it's not catastrophic. The Preds are doomed. Like, they still have UC Saros, so I think the Preds are going to be fine. Yeah. Um, and, in fact, you look at Saros' numbers – 
Uh, and Pecorino, you know, 2.11 goals against average and a 3-1-0 record is pretty good. Uh, but 1.54 goals against average from Saros, 9.45 save percentage, and a 4-0-0 record is just as good. So, like like, like I said, um, the Preds still have a good defense. They're still relatively healthy outside of the Pecorino injury. So, um, it's, it's nothing they can't overcome. Yeah. For sure. Uh, Justin Schultz broke his leg, um, yeah. during a broken play. Broken leg, broken leg, yep. So he's out indefinitely, um, I don't know, for some reason I feel like that's like an uncommon injury that happens, but you, you, I'm kind of surprised that doesn't happen more often. Yeah, he, you know? he was believed to have suffered a fracture, what happened was, um, uh, just, just taking a look at, uh, what happened? I I think uh, it happened uh, after Placanitz. Uh, yeah, here it is. Um, he had a fracture in his lower left leg. Uh, Placanitz hit him along the boards. His left leg was in a pretty bad spot. It kind of bent backward as he fell to the ice. Yeah. Um, and yeah, broken leg. He's out four months. So uh, it wouldn't be the regular season if a Penguins defenseman wasn't injured. Because yeah. you look at guys like Oli Mata, guys like Chris Letang in the previous years. Either one of them has missed significant time due to injury. So yep. Justin Schultz is the latest name. Uh, well, I'm just looking here that, like, I'm looking on Roto World here, and it seems like Justin Schultz is the only injury for the Penguins so far. So um, it could yeah. be wor- a lot worse. Um, yeah. Paul Stasny, um, it looks like he's out uh, the next, is suspected to be out for the next up to two months. Um, it looks like, uh, he, it's a lower body injury, so not specific again, um, but he is, um, I think he was injured, like, a couple weeks ago, um, but we just didn't mention it. Well, but, yeah, he was originally expected to miss about three games, so that's why he didn't mention it, because, like, okay. oh, he's gonna be back. Well, now, the diagnosis, it could be a month to two months, and it's worse than we are, that, than, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights originally thought, and you look at, uh, the Justin Schultz injury, you know, he's he's kind of those stabilizer kind of guys. Um, you know, the Penguins, uh, you know, their plan is to fill the void from within. You know, they have resources like Oli Matt and Jamie Alexiak. It's different with Paul Stastny in Vegas because this is a 32-year-old that was probably asked to come in, play a top six role, not right. an easy guy to replace. Um, and he's been injury prone. And this is one of those things... When Winnipeg got him at the trade deadline last year, where I thought, you know what, I better be careful with Paul Stasny if I was the Winnipeg Jets because he might provide some good depth scoring, but he's injury prone. And this is everything from upper body to lower body, and most of the injuries that's forced him to miss time um, in the past season, two seasons, three seasons – have been upper, uh, sorry, have been lower body injuries, and this one is no different. It's it's a lower body injury that he's dealing with. Uh, he suffered it uh, in a loss to the Sabers on October the eighth. Um, Ten shots on goal through his first three games with Vegas, um, and there have been five seasons in his career in which he's played in less than seventy games. So. Um, the bigger question, not just 
what he's going to do once he returns to the lineup and how effective he's going to be. That's not the big question. The bigger question is how this is going to impact the rest of his career because it's just injury after injury piling up and piling up. And when you're that banged up, uh, your injury uh, injuries can cut short your career. And especially, you know, if they're concussions. Um, But fortunately that hasn't happened to Paul Stastny that much uh, recently. So, um, you know, there's that. But like I said, you know, the more steps you lose on a guy, um, the less effective you're going to be. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see how effective he is once he returns, not just this year, but moving forward. Yeah, I, as you mentioned, like he was he was brought in to be like a top six guy, maybe not the first line center, but the second line center. So this of the, all the injuries we're about to mention, I think this is the bigger one because you don't have, like, it's not like a next man up, I mean, it is a next man up situation, but uh, they don't really have any, like, they, they don't really have other centers uh, to help out in the in the meantime, so um, so I feel like this is a big loss for them, um, mm-hmm. and I, I, but like, you know, at the same time, like, this is the same team last year that had, like, four goalies, um, you know, uh, they had to go to their third backup goalie um, last year, um, so maybe they'll, they'll they'll figure out like another center. I think Eric Halla is now their second line center, or something like that. But um, yeah, so it's uh, we'll we'll see. I, I will be curious to see how they do in his absence um, when they didn't even really have him that much to begin with. Uh, yeah. Jacob Silverberg. Uh, looks like he has a fracture in his finger, a fractured his fingertip. Um, yeah, fractured fingertip. It's for, fortunately it's non-displaced, so he's not supposed yeah. to be out long term. But his gloves are being adjusted. Uh, you know, they're getting right. the added protection. And I guess when you look at uh, what happened to Johnny Gaudreau, I think a year or two ago, where his hands got absolutely battered that one game. Yeah, he, he lost a bit of his goal scoring touch, but like he could still put up points. Well, the crazy thing about Silverberg is I was looking at his stats. I do have him in one of my fantasy teams. Uh, he had seven points in six games, so um, just before the injury. So it's um, it's kind of like sad that he's like you know um, that now he's injured for a bit after like a his hottest start in the league. Um, yeah, and, so, he had, and he had three goals on ten shots, so yeah. it's not like he was lighting the place on fire. Like he was he was very efficient, very conservative. Yeah. So I uh, so yeah, hopefully he's not out a ton of time and as I mentioned the Ducks just something I don't know what's going on in Anaheim it seems like 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 it's it's now it's not even just like a coincidence that Anaheim has injuries but it seems like literally every everyone on Anaheim gets injured like half the year so it seems I don't know maybe there's something to do with the conditioning like they just need to like replace their conditioning team or something, or maybe uh, just like cleanse the log room and get all the yeah. ghosts out because like there there's yeah. obviously there's something up like it's just like every single year like, yeah. like one person gets back and two go down. Yeah, it's like funny like because I, I look at their team and like like yeah, luckily Maxime Comtois and Sam Steele are doing decently, um, but like I'm also seeing like. They have like a guy. Um, there was like a a thirty two year old uh, 
Ben, ben Street. Street. Yeah, who has a couple games playing. It's just like, what? <laughs> um, I, I don't understand that. Kiefer Sherwood, I've never even heard of him before. Um, you know, it's just like a, a lot of, like, Ben Street is on their first line currently, it seems like. <laughs> So and he's he's yeah. a 31 32 year old rookie. All right. I know it's it's like it's a great story, don't get me wrong, but it's just like how how did the Ducks get this way where they have like a 31 year old rookie on their first line? Um just nuts. Uh Yeah, imagine nuts. if he has like a hamburger effect and he gets like 20 goals this year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> something like that. Uh <laughs> that would actually that would be kind of funny. But, I, I mean, that would be great. Um, Thomas Placanic, um is dealing with a lower back injury. Um, it seems, I don't know if he has a timetable just yet. Oh, he's week to week. Yeah, um, he could be out for several weeks. And if you look at cases like Zetterberg and Alfredson, aging vets getting back injuries, that doesn't usually end well. At least it hasn't for the past four or five years. So, um if this isn't the end for Pocanitz, I think it's signaling the beginning of an otherwise inevitable end because he's getting up there in his career. He just plays a thousandth NHL game with Montreal. Um, so um, I, I don't know how much magic uh, Pocanitz has left. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, he was kind of uh, slow last year too. So um, yeah, we'll see how much he, um, if, if if this has an effect, it probably does though, because he, you know, he's at that age. Yeah. Um, all right. And also, in good news though, um, Matt Murray, Corey Crawford, and Jonathan Quick all returned from injury. Uh, Crawford and Murray both were impressive this week uh, back, but uh, Quick not so much. Um, so Corey Crawford had was played in two games. Um, this was his first game, uh, first week back in eight months. So he missed like half of last season. Um, he uh, in his first game, he uh, he allowed three goals um, against Arizona, but he still looked decent enough. Um, and then uh, and then he uh, he gave up one goal against Columbus, which is a pretty good team. And I thought that was more impressive, um, but he had in this in these two weeks he had a 9.41 save percentage and a 2.05 GAA with a 1-1 and 0 record um, in those two games. So um, yeah, that's pretty good. I I think I mentioned this in our preview as well, but I feel like it's all dependent on like the Blackhawks' success is all dependent on if Corey Crawford um, can be that guy that he was, and so that. Yeah. So that's like a, that's a good start for them, and you know I think they rely on Corey Crawford, and now I'm starting to wonder if maybe like they need to replace Cam Ward because Cam Ward did not look good. <laughs> um, I mean he did get a couple of wins, but he did not look great, um, even for a backup. So um, yeah, so I I will I I do wonder if maybe they try to get another backup if if they start to get more serious, but. Um, at the moment, yeah, Corey Crawford's looking pretty good. Yeah, uh, would you trust Anton Forsberg over Cam Ward? I don't know. That's, yeah, that's, that's the, the other question thing, that yeah, they I have to know. answer. Because, like, the whole reason they got Cam Ward is because, you know, they didn't know what to do with Corey Crawford, and 
and uh, and what what was going to happen with Corey Crawford and you know Anton Forsberg has proved to be a decent asset, but like number one goaltender at the NHL level, not yet. I don't think so. Right. Um, yeah, there, I think there's. I think Cam Ward has bought himself time to see how things work out in Chicago. But yeah, I think Cam Ward's got to be better if he wants to keep his job. But um, I think. Um, the, the, the fact of the matter is the Blackhawks in their first five games, you know, they posted a pretty good record, but they went into overtime every single time. Right. So they were one goal away from winning or losing a hockey game. So um, you definitely don't want to be getting by like the skin of your teeth like that. So, right. um, yeah, there's definitely room for improvements in, in Chicago for sure. Um, but like you said, compared to Los Angeles – um, Chicago, I'm sure, will take the results that they're getting. Yeah, of course. Well, I'm looking here. So Cam Ward was three one and two um, in 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 uh, Corey Crawford's absence, but which isn't bad, obviously. But he also gave up uh, a goals against average of four point two three, which is incredible <laughs> when you think about it, because he's a starting go- he was a starting goaltender for that. And he also had a save percentage of eight eight five, um, which is not good either. So um, yeah, it's crazy. Um, so yeah, that's pretty bad. Yeah, and it's also it's a good. This is a good segue though, because Cam Ward w- had that Con Smith run, which was incredible, and then uh, so did uh, so did Matt Murray. He uh, you know he kind of was a big reason why the Penguins won those two cups back to back. Um, so, like, people are thinking, or at least I was thinking that, oh, like, Matt Murray um, was struggling at the beginning, but maybe he's, uh, you know, maybe he's the next Cam Ward where he had, like, great playoff success um, early on in his career and then was never able to uh, be consistent enough to, you know, uh, be good enough like that. Um, but it turns out that he had a... He just he only played once this week, um, and he's back from injury, um, and he uh, shut out the best team in the league or the best offense in the league in the Toronto Maple Leafs, and he uh, saved thirty eight. He had thirty eight saves in that win. Um, so um, I know it's only one game, but um, I thought I should mention that because he is returning from injury. Um, so that was, that was, uh, it was just, it's more impressive that he shut out the Leafs than he, uh, than, than the fact that he was able to be good right away. Um, and if you're Matt injury. Murray, you need a confidence boost because the first two games, absolutely nothing went your way. Um, you, you didn't really look good on the stat sheet. You know, you need that. You need that one start to get the ball rolling and check down one of the league's best offenses. That's got to feel pretty good. Yeah, exactly. But um, I, I just I want to see him be more consistent. Um, so I I know it's one game, but it is a good it is a good news to see that he uh, at least is able to pull stuff like that off. My fantasy team is hoping for that too, Brett. Yep, uh, Jonathan Quick. Uh, also returned from injury, but did not look so good. Um, he played two games this week. Uh, he gave up six goals against the Islanders on Thursday. 
and then he gave up four goals on Buffalo against Buffalo on Saturday. Um, he lost both those games, and so that's uh, he, since he gave up six in, to Islanders and four to the Sabres, he gave up ten goals in those two games. So yeah, I feel like um, maybe Quick isn't exactly healthy. Um, it kind of maybe that's that's the reason why the Kings are struggling. So I am I am curious. Like the Kings are not in good shape. So I am curious to see if maybe he's not a hundred percent yet. Um, yeah, yeah, he, he could be thing. one of those Curry Price cases where um, if he's not playing well, the Kings aren't playing well. Um, so that that'll be an interesting situation tomorrow for sure. But it goes without saying that uh, when it comes to Jonathan Quick, you don't expect average goaltending. You expect NHL top five caliber goaltending and the Kings just aren't getting it right now, but they're also, like I said, as a team, from a team standpoint, the Kings aren't playing well. So, um, hopefully, um, it's not a snowball effect that continues and hopefully the snowball effect is the Kings getting on a roll and quick finding his game. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, Nick Ritchie signs. I feel like this is the Anaheim Ducks show because we keep on mentioning <laughs> news about them sporadically throughout this. Um, this is the third time we're mentioning the Ducks uh, in this episode. Uh, Nick Ritchie. Well, then it's also the the second time we're mentioning the Kings, so it's kind of like a California hockey. Segment. Well, I think it's because we do this agree to disagree, and, and we don't know where we're going with that. So. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, Nick Ritchie gets three years, um, $1.5 million annual average value, although I think he's getting paid more this year than he is the next two years, uh, So, but it's still an annual average value of $1.5 um, So, like I said, Ben Street is on the first line, so maybe uh, Nick Ritchie will take his place. Um, he doesn't really, Nick Ritchie doesn't really score a ton, uh, but he is like, kind of like a power forward at the same time. So he does give that aggressiveness. So maybe that will fix their injury history if he can, uh, you know, scare, intimidate uh, their, his, uh, the uh, Ducks opponents um, so that they don't get injured all the time. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it seems like a good deal. Um, Nick Ritchie was a first-round pick, but he hasn't really lived up to it yet, If I having said all that. So... I don't know. I guess that's a good deal. It's kind of like a prove-it deal, but it's also a three-year deal, so it's kind of cheap. Um, but, you know, maybe it's just a body. So it's something that the Ducks need right now. I think it could be more than just a body. I mean, over his last two seasons, um, he's not known for his offense. He yep. scored a 20, uh, combined 24 goals and 55 points in 153 games played over those two years. So that's good death scoring. Um, that being said, he hasn't scored 20 plus goals in a single season, let alone 30 plus points in a single season. But those are, like I said, two full seasons of NHL duty. That's a small sample size. Right. Like not everyone's going to light it up and become a goal scoring machine. But, um, you look, look at his physicality and his toughness. That's, that's where he brings it. Eighth in the league in hits in 2016, 2017, his first full season, he had 247 hits in 77 games. Led his team in hits. Um, 
the following year, he gets 221 hits, uh, just outside the top 10 in the NHL, 13th place overall. Um, definitely room to grow, like I said. But I definitely think he can also be an offensive performer, too. Um, he had... 14 games of OHL playoff hockey experience with the Sioux Greyhounds in 2014-2015. And in those 14 games, he scored 13 goals. I definitely think he could be a consistent 20-goal scorer in this league, um, especially when you look at the injuries to Andre Kasha, Corey Perry, more recently Jakob Silverberg. They're going to need help on the wings. And... I think that will open the door for Nick Ritchie this year to go out there to take advantage, to get some points on the board, to get some goals on the board. And maybe this year is going to be a big one for Nick Ritchie. Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, I guess saying that he's just a body, I guess that, that's not true. But I, I, I guess what I mean is, is that in terms of his offensive Upside. He's more known for his hitting and his toughness, yeah. not for his offense. He's a one-dimensional exactly. player, right? But not not to say that like that's not important um, in the game. I, do, I mean, I just mean like it's not like he, he could do more. Um, so maybe that's a, <laughs> it's a little bit. I certainly think he's capable of doing more. Yeah, he, I think I think they just need to give he him the opportunity, yeah. and I think he's going to get it with all these injuries. True. I guess it's it's more just a, uh, a potential. He he does have potential. I'll give you that, but I don't know if yeah. it's necessarily... The, 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 the numbers aren't there right now. You're yeah. right. The numbers aren't there right now to say he's he's an offensive threat. Oh, right, exactly. Um, Alex Tuck gets a seven-year extension. Um, he uh, It's it's going to be a $4.75 million annual average value. Uh, this is a little bit of an odd move. Um, not that Alex Tuck isn't terrible or anything, but it's just, it's more like, uh, why? <laughs> um, it's not like, he, I mean, he, uh, let, let, pulling up his stats right here, uh, while I filibuster for a second. While it, should, it should be noted that because of injury, he hasn't played a game yet this year. Yeah. Um, so he, all we have to go on is basically last year's stats. Yeah, so because he, he was pointless in six games uh, in his first taste of NHL hockey. So right. basically the bulk of what we're looking at is last year with Vegas. Right, but I think uh, – so I have his NHL – I'm looking on NHL.com, but I should be looking at hockey reference because they have more stats to look at. Uh, but it says here that he had 37 points in 78 games there. Um, but you did mention that he went pointless in it, um, in six games last year, or in his rookie year. Um, but he played for Minnesota, and he only had 10, 10 minutes of average ice time in those six games. Uh, so now that they give him some ice time here in Vegas, he has 37 points in 78 games. So that's not terrible. He's also 21 years old. I believe he also had a, an impressive playoffs. Yeah, he had 10 points in 20 games in the playoffs as well. So, he also had six goals and three power play markers in those playoffs yeah. too. So, so um, yeah, so that's not uh, – so maybe it's one of those things like, you know, like Tom Wilson got paid a lot and, and a lot had to do with the how he did in the playoffs. So maybe it's something like that where um, they're paying for, on potential – of what we know he's capable of in the playoffs. 
um, versus what he did in the regular season. So maybe if he's deployed the right way, um, then maybe he'll he'll be a guy. But I don't know. It seems it seems like such a long so so long like seven years. It's a long time. So. Um, and then on top of that, in years five, six, and seven, they give him a five-team no-trade list, so he can't be traded to five teams. Right. So, so they see, added a modified no-trade to his yep. contract. So it seems like one of those deals where, like, long-term, um, it might not be smart if he doesn't pan out. So they're just hoping that he does pan out in some way. Um, and also, this is a team that gave um, that has seven million to Max Pacioretty. Um, which I mean, he's you know he's 29 years old right now. Um, Marc Andre Fleury has uh, seven million um, in three years next year. Um, they just gave Shea Theodore a seven-year deal as well, I yeah. believe. He's not doing so great either. Uh, no, five million, five point two million. I have. I'm looking at their uh, kind of friendly page right now. Uh, Shea Theodore is five point two million for seven. But still, years. it's a seven year deal. That's right. that like George McPhee hasn't given out too many long term deals like that. True. So yeah, so they they've been handing out yeah, I guess that that's the point here, is that they're giving out a lot of long term deals. And I feel like that's gonna come and bite them uh pretty soon. Um especially the Max Petcheretti deal and the Mark Andre Fleury deal. Because those guys are getting pretty old. Um so um, so I, I feel like in the long term, it doesn't make sense, but, you know, I don't know, Alex, at least Alex Tuck is 21, so, um, so by the end of that contract, he'll be 27 years old, um, no, 28 years old, um, so, so maybe there, there's that, so they'll have him for his prime years, but, um, it's, it's more of a case of if he, if he's going to live up to that contract, and that's what I'm not sure about. Yeah, and he's still got um, a year left on his entry level, so this isn't actually going to kick in until next year. So he'll be like 28-29 when it happens. And taking a look at uh, what he did last year, 37 points in 78 games. That's pretty good. 10 power play points as well. Uh, Four of his 15 goals were scored on the power play. Four of his 15 goals turned out to be game winners as well. And considering... A guy doesn't even get 40 points yet still registers over 170 shots on goal. That's that's still pretty good, you know. For a guy nearing a top six position, maybe in the bottom six position, um, he, like they, they gave him some meaningful NHL minutes last year and he made the most of it. Um, so now the hope is, you know, they give him more and the results really start to flow in. But the fact that it's a seven-year deal kind of concerns me a little bit. Like you said, Brett, that's a bit of a concern because you're going off of one season. You're also giving you an average annual value of $4.75 million. Another big concern. That's close to $5 million. But that's not the biggest issue for me. This is the biggest issue. The fact that William Carlson scored 40 goals last year, over 40 goals, and... Now Alex Tuck is getting paid five hundred grand less than Carlson, um, uh, over the next couple of years, and and Carlson, I guess, you know, maybe the reason they signed to the one year deal is because they thought he'd be worth more money if he showed it, and they were just buying him some time to show that he was worth it, and maybe that's why they only signed to a, a one year contract there at that price. But the fact that 
they're willing to give Alex Tuck close to William Carlson money for seven years before they really give William Carlson his big payday. It's just a little bit of a mixed message to me, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially when you consider that, like, like Carlson, like, doubled, like, Alex Tuck's value, offensive value last year. I think Carlson, if he didn't double it, he came close to doubling it. And yet, they're willing to give him five, just under five hundred grand less than William Carlson money. So that that it, it, it's just a bit perplexing in that sense. Like they're willing to give Alex Tuck a long term deal, but the fact that they didn't give William Carlson more than a one year deal at that price, maybe like maybe that's more William Carlson's decision than Vegas's decision. But because like we don't know what happened in the contract negotiations, obviously brick by brick, what happened. But it, it, it's still a bit fishy because they're willing to just turn around before it was near the end of the season. Like the season didn't even begin. Alex Tuck didn't even really begin his second full season of NHL duty. And they, they just gave him that contract. It, it's just, it's just how it all played out, how it happened so fast instead of just waiting till the end of the year. Um, that, that kind of surprised me a little bit. Yeah, I guess it, it, yeah, it seems like that's going to be an issue. Especially, it's also strange considering that he's injured right now, so it seems kind of like we don't even know how he's, you know, he could be... Exactly. You know, he could be uh, not the same um, even still. But yeah, I guess that is a concern in terms of we don't even know how good he's going to be. But it's not that it won't possibly work out, it's just that potential um, we're not necessarily sure of yet. Um, yeah, and and it's 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 one of those things where like you know they're taking on bad contracts, you know, because you know like they can afford to do that. They're an expansion team, but you can't afford to do that once you get into year three, year four, year five. When especially after the season they've had last year. Yeah. Um, Yeah, no, all right, let's go to the next topic. I don't really have anything really to say, but yeah, it's a good point about William Carlson because they paid him. He had 40 goals, and they weren't necessarily sure if he was going to be good, but then, you know, he was able to sustain that. But then they give Alex Tuck a lot more money uh, yeah. for something that we're not necessarily sure uh, what he's going to be. So, now, now, before we get so to the next topic, I did want to mention this. Uh, former Tampa Bay defenseman Jake Dodson signed a one-year deal with the Ducks uh, for $800,000. Uh, he joins former Lightning teammate uh, Andre Schuster with the Ducks. The NHL Players Association has also filed a grievance on Jake Dodson's behalf against Tampa Bay after the Lightning waived him for a material breach of contract, presumably because he showed up to camp 30 to 35 pounds over his playing weight. So... It'll be interesting to see how that goes. Anyways, continue. Yeah, so I guess this is more sad news here. Um, yeah. But uh, Charles Wang, who was the minority owner, at one point he was the um, majority owner of the New York Islanders. Uh, he uh, he has passed away. Um, I was actually, so I've been reading a couple of stuff, and some stuff, like, I knew that he wasn't... Um, he was an okay owner, I guess, but he like he kind of like didn't have 
um, a lot of su support amongst the Islanders uh, community. Um, but I was looking, apparently he had, before he bought the team, he had only watched one Islanders game before he bought the team, which is, uh, which is, I didn't even know about that, which is kind of crazy. Maybe um, that's part of the reason why the fans had trust issues with him. It's like, yeah. oh, you've only been to one of our games. Right. Like, how much do you know about hockey? Um, really? But there was, uh, I did, but through my research, I found that he, um, he wanted to get this. Uh, this thing called the Lighthouse Project, um, which was so it's supposed to renovate Nassau Coliseum and make this more into a multi-use um, arena, but it never like it went to a vote um, in Nassau County and it it got rejected, so it never happened. And then they uh, they eventually moved the team over to. Um, to uh, the Barclays Center and and but I guess they're going to be returning to uh, Long Island pretty soon, anyways. But uh, but that was like his his project was to renovate this arena, but he never got funding enough to actually build it uh, to what he was. So we never actually got to see what uh, what he could do with this lighthouse project per se. Um, and it's also like tough. Like apparently he was like. At the start, he w he wanted to pay a lot of money for you know free agents so that they could compete, but then um, the Islanders weren't that great. So then he kind of like changed his mind in terms of spending. Um, but uh, so so there was that as well. So maybe that's why fans weren't exactly happy with him. Um, but then eventually, I think in twenty fifteen, he. Um, uh, he became the NHL ordered um, that he become a minority owner, um, and Ledecky and uh, John Ledecky and Scott Malkin um, in 2014 became the majority owners of the um, of the Islanders, and Wang became a minor minority owner who still he re retained a share of the franchise for the time being. So. Um, but yeah, it's it's still sad because someone died, and it wasn't like he was exactly old. Um, I mean, he was. Let's see here. He was seventy four. He was, was seventy four. Um, so I guess he was kind of old. But like you know, you expect like you know maybe like I don't know when the time is right to die. This is getting dark. But um, so it wasn't like he was. I mean, he wasn't a young chicken either. Anyways, I, I'm getting off track. But um, but it's still sad to you know to uh, that he uh, that a guy is is dead. Um, and so, and they didn't release any info on the cause of death and like right, it, no, it, it all happened find, so quick. Like I was trying to find how he died. A member of his family, he didn't really recognize you know what was going on. So yeah, I was trying to find how he died, but I can't even find it. Um, yeah, they said in the actual statement the cause of death was not released when I checked yesterday. So okay. Um, what, but, what's also interesting about what he did is that he also created Project Hope, and that was an international program to develop ice hockey in his home country of China. And uh, the Islanders actually became the first NHL team to host an international youth hockey tournament. Uh, on top of all that, uh, Charles Wang also pioneered video streaming of the NHL so that hockey fans from all corners of the world could connect with NHL hockey. 
And there's no doubt that the Owls had some tough years uh, during his tenure, and, and it looked like they're probably destined to move. But uh, now they got the Belmont Park deal. Looks like they're going to stay in Long Island, and um, look, looks like we now know more about what Charles Wing did and what he meant to the Islanders organization than a lot of us will probably ever know. So um, I guess I guess he was a quiet leader in that respect, and you'll be greatly missed. Yeah. Um... Of course. Um, and then, I guess I should have mentioned this before we did that, um, but uh, I, I just found out that Alex Galchenyuk is cleared for contact, so we, we should be seeing him soon. And also, Seth Jones um, is expected to return tomorrow on Tuesday. Um, wow. So so those guys are back from injury. Um, but I should, have, I should have said that uh, before. Um, okay. But, yeah. Oh. Uh, on that note, uh, um, just a quick stat before we get to the Bruins sends. Okay. Um, and this ended on Saturday because the Jets scored four goals. Uh, but anti Ranta allowed three or fewer goals in 16 consecutive appearances dating back from February 28th of last year to this past Saturday. Over that stretch, he led the league in goals against average and save percentage. 1.56 GAA, 9.47 save percentage. And, Brett, you also uh, mentioned to me that he's 16-0-3 in his NHL career at the United Center in Chicago. So that's, of course, as a member of the Blackhawks and as a yep. member of the Coyotes. Yeah, so, uh, so that's pretty good. He, he kind of has the Blackhawks number. Um, but, yeah, no, it's uh, Anta is one of the more underrated goalies out there. It's just more the Coyotes can't score. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Pretty much. Uh, Bruin Sen segment. Um, I went last. I went first last week, um, and this is this might be the first week in a while where you have good news and I have bad news um, all across the board. So, uh, although I guess you do have to talk about an injury, so I'll let. But I'll let you go first because I went first last week. All right, so uh, the Sens, um, they did get some good news. It didn't start off well against Dallas, though. They were uh, down one nothing after one. Um, Craig Anderson, again, buying his teammates some time to get the equalizer. And late in the second, they get it from, hey, guess who? Max Lajoie, fourth of the season. Absolutely ridiculous. Four goals in like six or seven NHL games. Uh, it's pretty good. And then in the third period, Brady Kachuk drives to the net, gets to the dirty area, gives his team a 2-1 to lead by putting a stick in the right place. Uh, and we'll have more on Kachuk in a bit. Uh, Matt Duchesne then makes a gorgeous turnaround feed to Mikhail Bacher. Absolutely insane. If you haven't watched it, it's probably going to be on the players of the year for, for sure. Uh, that extends the lead to 3-1. to And then the Sens uh, make it 4-1 to with an empty net goal, so they win that game. Um, in between... Uh, all of that madness. Um, we got a big hit from Mark Borbieski on Stars Captain Jamie Benn. Uh, that really got the fans out of their seats. You know, Jamie Benn, in case you haven't really watched him up close in person, I haven't really, but I've seen highlights of Jamie Benn. He can score, but he can also hit just as well as he can score. Like, he's a pretty big guy. He's tough to move. So when a guy like Borbieski takes a good, healthy run at Benn, gives a good, hard, clean hit, uh, you gotta like that. Um, and then the stars do something completely out of Patrick Watt's playbook. Uh, John Montgomery decides to 
pull his goaltender with about seven minutes left in the third period. Like, I get if it's like three minutes or two minutes, and and I've seen that um, the strategy of pulling uh, goalies for the extra attacker, it's it's coming uh, sooner this year. Um, but seven minutes left in the game is like Patrick Wall pulling his goalie in like a two-goal game with like ten minutes left in the third period. It's it's just something you don't see every day. Um, and, and they did, I guess, get some quality shots, but... Um, they didn't get any goals, and uh, of course, um, the Sens end up scoring an empty netter, so it didn't work that well this time. Craig Anderson ends up getting 37 saves, just one goal against. Uh, Brady Kachuk gets the game winner, posts five shots, and he made four hits in just 14 minutes, 30 seconds of ice time. So again, another efficient night from Brady. Uh, Max Lajoie gets a goal on three shots, leads all Ottawa skaters in time on ice with 21 minutes and 26 seconds. Uh, so, yeah, again, another win for the Sens. They're above 500. They get some momentum. And then they get four days off uh, before they face off against the Canadians. And maybe they get too much rest because the Habs open up a 3-1 to one lead in the first period. So Ottawa's going to have to crawl their way back out of a two-goal deficit. But uh, the Sens are starting to show a little bit more identity. They get two goals in the second period. They tie the game at three. Um, it remains scoreless uh, in the third period, so we're tied at three, heading to OT. And then Mark Stone scores an absolute laser beam to get his third point of the night. And absolutely no chance for Carey Price to stop it whatsoever. Just underneath the crossbar, over his glove, just an absolutely stellar goal. And uh, Matt Duchesne, again, another big showing from him. He had two points as well. Um, the Sens were able to tighten up defensively. They gave up 15 shots in the first, but only 12 the rest of the way in the second, third, and OT periods combined. Uh, the Habs were also able to tighten up defensively. But, again, one of those character pesky Sens wins where Ottawa was able to adapt and overcome the obstacle in their path. Uh, like I said, the identity is really starting to come back for Ottawa. Uh, that's great to see. Uh, because every single game that the Sens win is adding confidence to all the young guys. It's adding motivation for Mark Stone. It's adding motivation for Matt Duchesne to stick around and see things through. And speaking of which, the Sens are now talking with Duchesne's agent about a contract. There's no offers out there right now. But again, the fact that they're uh, chatting is something. Uh, the Sens host the Bruins on Tuesday night. Um, then they hit the road for games in Vegas, Colorado, and Arizona. But before we get to Brett's Bruins, of course, uh, Brett mentioned there was a big injury. And, uh, yeah, it's a pretty big one. Um, because the Sens can't seem to have a stretch of good luck without something going wrong. And uh, Brady Kachuk getting hurt was a case in the point of that. So how it all started was Wednesday, uh, was Wednesday morning. The Sens were in Gatineau, Quebec. Um, for uh, for a practice, and it was open to the public, so the fans uh, got to see um, you know guys like uh, Mark Stone and Matt Duchesne and Craig Anderson and all of uh, the young rookies that have made names for themselves early on. And head coach Guy Boucher was talking to the media um, at the practice in Gatineau. Um, and prior to this, the Sens had been dealing with some injuries. Um, Cody Cease was dealing with an upper body injury. Uh, Alex Formanson had a concussion. Ryan DeSingle was also hurt. So, of course, everyone was um, 
you know, asking uh, Guy Boucher for an update on those three guys. Then Brady Kachuk is a no-show at practice, and it turns out he made a big hit during Monday's game against Dallas. He powered through that, scored the game winner. Um, turns out he was feeling some effects after that hit, so he wasn't at practice on Wednesday. So they're just asking Guy Boucher what was up with Brady. You know, is he hurt? How bad is he hurt? Then we get word he's out for the next month or so after suffering a torn ligament in his leg. The good news is he doesn't need surgery. Still, he's out for the next four, five, six weeks, however long it is. And, you know, you're just expecting it to heal naturally. Sometimes it always doesn't go that way. So um, you you hope that it's going to be the expected timetable and then he's good to go and then he chips in. But... This injury kind of hurts Ottawa because it it happens at a bad part of the season. You're just like, well, it's only October. Like, <laughs> not, nothing's decided in, like, November or December. This isn't, like, playoff right. time. But uh, as Guy Boucher explained, the reality is the next month, usually October and November, there's a gigantic leap in the caliber and the pace of the game. And it becomes the real NHL at the end of November and the beginning of December. So those are tough moments to miss. And it does ramp up, and we wish for him to be there. He's such a good player. He says he's such a high-end character. He'll push, he'll come back, and I'm sure he's going to do fine. Yeah. Um, and there's no denying that Brady Kachuk has played a big role on the sense because based on what I've seen over the past few years, two big things have boggled my mind about these centers. And their primary point of weakness is the power play. That's improved early on. Brady Kachuk has helped on that front. Their second point of weakness is getting traffic in front of the net. I can't tell you how many times I've been watching a Sens game where they're just moving the puck around. And I'm just looking, where are the bodies in front of the freaking net? Like, get like get, get shots from in close. You know, get point shots. Okay, that's great. You need guys in front of the net obstructing the goalie's line of view. If the goalie's going to see it, he's probably going to stop it nine times out of ten. So, uh, it's one thing to pick up the puck and snipe a perfect shot over the goalie's shoulder, but not all goals are going to be pretty. So that's why you need guys driving to the net, generating traffic, shots from the inner slot, shots close to the net. And in the first four games of his NHL career, Brady Kachuk is not only the best on his team at doing all of that, he's one of the best in the NHL. And I'll give you some stats uh, that prove it. Brady is tied for 23rd in NHL goals per game this year, first on the team. He's also first on the team and in the NHL in both inner slot shots and deflections made per game. And he's also first on the team and tied for fifth in slot shots per game. So you you talk about NHL teams trying to find a solution for Brady Kachuk. I don't think there's been one because... You know, Brady Kachuk's a rookie. You haven't seen much of his performance. You know, you, you look at uh, the ways he intimidates opponent, uh, opponents, how he gets under your skin, the way that he plays. You don't really have a solution for Brady because he's a rookie. You haven't seen much of him. Right. So that's probably part of the reason why he's been able to make such a big difference on the Ottawa Senators. And it's probably a big reason why guys like Brady Kachuk, guys like Max Lajoie are earning respect not just on the ice, but off of it, in the dressing room as well. And it also concerns me because last year, the Sens started to go off the rails in November, December, 
probably part of the reason was the drama off the ice. But the main thing that cost Ottawa was injuries, especially injuries to their back end. So if injuries catch up with Ottawa this year, that could really um, piss on the momentum they've already generated. So hopefully this isn't the beginning of the end for Ottawa season. Hopefully we get to see more good moments and the Sens can overcome it. But um, it, it's it's definitely not the best time to lose a guy like Brady Kachuk. So yeah. we'll see how they deal with that. Uh, so the, the crazy thing about, well, I mean, it's more a personal story, I guess, but uh, first off, uh, I actually had picked up Brady Kachuk in one of my leagues, and, oh, then, no. and then he, uh, so I got him for his last game before he got injured, and then I was like, oh, great, now I, <laughs> now I have Brady Kachuk on my team. I, I only had one IR spot, so I couldn't, I had to drop him, but... Um, yeah, no, he looked in the, uh, so I did watch a couple of the Sens games, or at least that, uh, the, the last game he played against the Stars. Um, yeah, he looked, he looked pretty good. Like, he looked like a natural NHL player. Um, hopefully this injury isn't too serious or isn't like a long-term effect kind of thing, but, uh, he looked pretty good. Um, so I can already admit that I'm wrong. And you're, you're, and from what you're saying, I think you'll admit that you're wrong too, because you... You yeah, him. <laughs> I, I think sending him down to the OHL, there's no need for that. Yep. I think if he gets sent down, as to the AHL because I think he's simply too good for yep. a junior hockey level. And, that, and that's what I was saying uh, at, when I heard the news that they were going to bring him up was like, yeah, if he can play, he can play. So um, I don't see why he, uh, why like necessarily he should be sent down after his nine games. Um, also, you mentioned that uh, you had the stats to prove that he's already the best in the league. Um, he's only played four games, so uh, I, I just yeah, wanted. But at the time, at the time of his injury, yeah. and keep in mind that he also missed uh, the first two games of the season due to injury too. Right. But I just want to I just want to temper your expectations. It's like yeah, it's always like small sample yeah. size. It's not like he's it's a small sample <laughs> size, but it's a pretty darn good sample right, size, okay, right? Okay. No, I agree. I just I, I'm just saying like it's still like just I don't think he's like an 80 point player. Oh, just no. <laughs> but but uh, to do what he's done in yeah. his first four NHL games, right. not just on his team but in the league. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely impressive. It's validity to Pierre Dorian's decision to we'll take our chances with Brady Kachuk and exactly. risk losing on Jack Hughes. Yeah, exactly. Well, they wouldn't have gone Jack Hughes anyways. But yes, no, I I know what you mean. Well, if they continue <laughs> to play at this rate, they certainly won't. No, I know, but like, no, I'm saying because they don't even have their first round pick next year, but this year. But yes, I do, I do understand what you mean. Um. Oh, oh, I get it. I get what you're saying. Yeah, because they could have the option to give it to Colorado. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I think you have to go pretty soon, so I'll make this quick here. Uh, so the Bruins played uh, the Flames. Uh, they did not have a good start. They gave up three goals right away in the first period. Uh, Michael Froelich, uh somehow, the Bruins have this sense of, like, they have, like, like a bunch of, like, well, for whatever reason, there's like a bunch of guys that just, um, just like are really good against uh, the Bruins, and then you never hear from them again. So Microfulik <laughs> is one of those guys. He had two goals in this game, um, but it was like a nice play. Matthew Kachuk, Brady's brother, um, 
uh, got an assist there. Um, Johnny Gaudreau um, also had something. It was, it was a nice play there. It was nothing that Tuca couldn't do, uh, like could do in that in that situation. So I I didn't hate that. And then Yuso Valamaki, uh, like shot from like the blue line, um, and then it deflected. Like it was, I thought it was deflected, but I guess they they didn't deflect it, because um, it seems like that was his first goal of the of the NHL. Um, and that's going to be a recurring theme. Um, and there was also like um, I think uh, I think this happened right after uh, the Bruins had uh, they did have a goal. It was from Pasternak and Mar- Marchand, but uh, an offside call uh, took them back. They'll, I'm fine with offside calls, I guess, but the only issue I have with it is like that was an off that offside happened like 30 seconds before the goal happened. So it didn't have an actual effect on the actual goal that was being scored. It was just like called be called back, even though it didn't have an effect on the goal. That drives me nuts whenever that happens. Uh-huh. Um, so I was I was I was really annoyed by that. Um, Patrice Bergeron scores in the second. For like for Leak, as I mentioned, he scores again in the um, his second goal, um, and then Brad Marchand gets another goal. So it was. 4-2 at that point. It wasn't impossible that they would come back, but uh, the Bruins just didn't have a great game. Um, and then Matthew Kachuk gets a empty net goal. Um, so um, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't great, but um, it was one of those things where the Flames just were the better team throughout, um, and then the the Bruins just were lethargic. So I just took it as like, all right, well, we should like the Flames are a good team, but. Um, you know, we are on the West Coast. Um, it's 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 not it's all right. Um, but then they so they play Edmonton. Uh, this was when uh, Yaroslav Halak um, is in net here. Um, David Krejci gets a, gets on the board. Um, uh, this was in the second period, and then Yamamoto Kalier Yamamoto uh, gets his first of the year uh, of his NHL career. It was a nice shot too. It was like a it was a it was a nice night um, to the boards there. Uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins uh, on the third in the third period gets a goal from Connor McDavid uh, that that bum uh, <laughs> and Oscar Clef bomb. It was a power play goal. It was a nice like tic tac toe kind of play. Uh, David Pasternak gets a goal um, shortly after. Uh, from Brad Marchand and Charlie McAvoy. Um, and then in overtime, uh, Patrice Bergeron misses a penalty, uh, misses a faceoff, which hardly ever happens, as you know. And then Leon Dreisaitl, uh, McDavid gets uh, the faceoff. He passes it straight to uh, Dreisaitl. And, of course, Dreisaitl uh, gets the goal. So um, it was one of those things where it's like nothing that Halleck could have done in that regard, it was just an unfortunate. Um, at least we got a point, um, and the Red Sox clinched it right. Uh, clinched a World Series bid, um, like a second after this the the, the dry settle goal. So I was kind yeah, of yeah. So that's that's a dose of karma yeah. of just being like, hey, your Bruins lost, but gotcha, fan. The Red exactly. Sox are going so, to the World Series. So I was I was conflicted. Um, but it was, you know, at least we got a point, but it's still like, that was a game that we should have won. Did you, yes. uh, like, I was actually looking at this the other, uh, um, when it happened, um, 
in the first period, the Bruins had 12 shots on goal. The Oilers only had five shots. Yeah. And then um, in the second period, the Bruins had seven shots. Uh, the Oilers had 10, so they were at shot there. But And then in the third period, the, the Bruins had 10 shots. Oilers had six shots. So it was just, it was just crazy that... Um, like we had so many shots going in, we were out shooting them like so much, and like the Oilers weren't even shooting that much, and then they still we still give up three goals to them. It's just nuts. I mean, like I know like Yamamoto goal, I couldn't blame them because that was a nice shot, um, and you know Drysaddle was also a nice shot too. But it was just just a frustrating game to watch. Um, and then we go to Vancouver. This speaking of frustrating games to watch. Uh, the Bruins were out. You want to know the final, speaking of shots on goal, uh, the final shots on goal, Bruins had 31 shots. Vancouver Canucks had 22 shots. Um, and uh, the Canucks still uh, beat the, the Bruins 2-1. to one. This is one of those games where, like, Bruins were making all these plays. They were clearly the better team. The Canucks didn't have Pedersen or Peterson however you call it, um, but, like, Markstrom was was pretty good. He was stopping a lot of things, um, and the only thing that the Bruins had in their way was Joe Kim Nordstrom, um, uh, who scored in the second in the third period uh, to tie things up late, but um, Brandon Sutter had a nice goal, and Bo Horvat scores in overtime. So, um, yeah, so this, I'm, um, and also I should mention that Charlie McAvoy was, uh, it looks like he might have a concussion um, that was slow to develop, but he's currently day-to-day, but I expect him to miss a couple of games. Uh, mm-hmm. this, uh, this is also a team that doesn't have Tory Krug, and also Kevin Miller was out too. Um, he has an upper body injury um, related to the hand. Um, so yeah, so this was, um, I feel like this is going to be... Uh, a low point. I know it's like a West Coast things, but against the Canucks and the Oilers, these were games that we should, the Bruins should have got had two points instead of one point. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was just a frustrating maybe if game. They get off to a better start against Calgary. Maybe they maybe they have get points in that game at least. Yeah, yeah, at least something more. like that. So like it was just one of those things that like I don't know. I I'm not worried yet, but at the same time, it's like we don't have like, our three best defensemen. Um, although, I, I guess Kevin Miller's, uh, I don't know if he's our third best defenseman. But <laughs> we're missing we're missing Krug and McAvoy, who are definitely our two best defensemen. And I guess Char, we still have Char there, but, um, but Kevin, I don't know. It, it's it, Kevin Miller's been pretty, like, Carlo's been kind of underrated, but uh, he's been he's been pretty good. And Yurho Vakaninen also made his debut, and he looked... You look pretty solid, but... Well, and you also look at uh, their power play during that road trip. Yeah. They got nothing. They yeah. got zero power play goals against Calgary, zero against Edmonton, zero against Vancouver. Yeah. So I think that the, 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 the missing presence of Krug and McAvoy has not helped their power play. No, exactly. And um, and, and the, the depth issues which were prevalent throughout. So it's, it's like one of those things where... I don't know what's going on with the Bruins team. I hope it doesn't last long, but I think it's all dependent on McAvoy and Krug uh, being out. And I hate to like blame um, 
<laughs> blame, like, excuse the Bruins' bad play just on injury, but um, this is why depth is important. You know, it's um, it, when your top guys are not playing well or are injured, you know, you need guys to, you need your other guys to step up and, and, uh, and take over, and that hasn't happened yet. So, um, so I'm hoping that there is more case there, but uh, we'll see. Um, and then as for Tuka and Halleck, it, Halleck got two starts. Uh, Rask got only one start. Um, and uh, I don't know. Maybe there is something. I don't know. I mean, I did mention last week that um, I wouldn't be opposed to Halleck getting more starts, maybe like 30 or 35 or 40 um, games. But, um, you know, I, I also... Don't know how consistent Halleck can be if he is given that many games at the same time. So, well, see, here's the thing about the the Rask Halak situation. Yeah, they played Edmonton on the second half of back to back. They're wise not to play Rask there. They get Vancouver there, probably give Halak um, another start because you know he got them a point. I, I think yeah. it also buys Tuka some time because they go up against Ottawa on Tuesday. Who's surprised? Yeah. They go up against. Philly on Thursday, who's got good offense. They go up against Montreal on Saturday, another team that's surprised. You need Tuka Rask to figure things out. If there's any holes in this game, you need to fill them. You need to give him enough time to do that. Now he's got about a week's rest since his last start yep. to go up against Ottawa on Tuesday. So I think that's partially why Halak started those two games. Yeah, I don't know. I I think there's also partly that he he didn't really play well against Calgary. Um, yeah. So I think there there is something to that. Maybe like I don't know. I I am I don't know. I'm starting to worry that it, maybe Halleck uh, or maybe Halleck is going to be the starter, and I don't know how. Well, I don't forget, Hugh Dobin was good last year, and he was yeah. a pretty good backup. But no, eventually, Rass found his game, and he was okay. It's true. And Tuka had a horrible October last year, so um, so maybe it's the same kind of thing. But uh, we'll see. Speaking of which, uh, yeah. So we mentioned the Bruins play the Senators on Tuesday uh, or today, if you're listening to it right away on Tuesday. Uh, they play the Flyers on Thursday, uh, the Canadian, and then the Canadians on Saturday. So, um, so yeah, a couple of, uh, you know, the Senators are a surprising team. Um, and, you know, the Flyers and the Canadians always uh, bring it when they play the Bruins. Um, but, yeah, I think it, it's just one of those things where we're, we're in Canada, we have a couple of injuries, and I don't know, it wasn't... I'm, I'm going to hope it's an aberration, but it may be a, a sign that the Bruins aren't um, as good as we thought they were at the beginning of the season. So uh, hopefully that's not the case, but it, it's I would not be surprised if that happens. Um, Just a couple of uh, notes before we end the Bruins' sense segment. Uh, I got I saw an article on TSN that sounded like the Bruins aren't going to offer Stefaniak a contract, at least not yet. Yep. Um, and also, they signed Jan Kovar, oh, yeah, who could have been the next Vadim Shipachev and gone back to Russia. But now it appears he signed a deal with the AHL's Providence Bruins. He's going to give it a couple of weeks and weigh his options after that. Yeah. So 
he could have a spot on the Bruins if all goes well. And you mentioned that apparently he and Pasternak are buddies. Yeah, they played well. They they played on the same line um, when Pasternak was um, in. The, I don't think he was, Pasternak played in the KHL. I mean, I I didn't actually look, but I found that they were. Or I saw an article that said that Jan Kovar and Pasternak played on the same team and the same line. Um, a couple of. So there is some sort of a history between the two. Yeah, yeah. I, I forget what team it was or what league it was, but um, yeah, they they were on the same. And it like it was like Pasternak's, um, I think it was in 2015, so the year after Pasternak gets drafted. Um, let me just look real quick here. Um, like he had like a spike in his points, and um, it would just so happen that Kovar was on that team. Um, let's see here. Yeah, so he had, they were on the same Swedish team, if that's right. Uh, oh, no, they weren't. Um, oh, they were, they were both Czech Republics. So they were both on, um, the same Czech Republic team in the World Cup. Um, so they were, um, they were both on that team. And uh, they were both uh, on the same line because uh, they're both Czech players. Even though what's interesting, and I find out, so Jan Kovar was playing in the KHL and Pasternak was playing in the Swedish league. So they weren't even playing in the Czech league, but they're both Czech. So um, and so is David Krejci. So I, I yeah, I, I think it. We'll see how it goes. I I do want to. I I would imagine he's going Kovar. If he gets on the lineup, um, I would imagine he'll be the three center spot, or the you know the third on the third line, um, yeah. and so that that would be something. If he can fill that role, that'd be great. I I personally would rather them stick in house and go with J, 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 Jacob Forsbaka Carlson or JFK as as I'm going to call it from now on. Um, <laughs> And or maybe Trent Frederick, but um, but yeah, at the moment if, if if Kovar can do something, he can do something, you know. So I I will see how it goes in that regard. Um, but uh, and then there was another thing I was going to say. Um, but the the interesting thing about Kovar, which I forgot to mention, so thanks for mentioning it here. Um, but the thing that's interesting is that he. He would. He kind of got kicked off of the Islanders because he didn't report for the to the AHL, um, and so then it was like thought like, oh, this is going to be another Shipachev where we all thought that Kovar was going to go to the KHL, um, just like Shipachev did last year, but then it turns that he's just he just went to a different team. So that is kind of interesting. I wonder what happened. Maybe he plan He was. He was going to go to the Bruins anyways, and but he went to the Islanders. I don't know um, what the deal was there, but um, but yeah. So he has a PTO, um, yeah, and we'll see. I don't know if he's signed a contract yet, but we'll see how that goes. Yeah, it's um, more like a wait and see thing. After a couple of weeks, we'll see where he's yeah. at. So. Um, so you have to go. Um, yep. Lace up podcast is our Twitter. We're also on Facebook. 
Um, you're probably listening to this on SoundCloud or iTunes. We're on there as well. Um, so make sure to subscribe and follow us there. Um, I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 143 of the Listen Up podcast.